Amen. Father, we bless your holy name. We exalt you. We magnify you. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you so much for what you did for us in filling, fulfilling the Father's plan of redemption. Holy Spirit, we trust you tonight for direction and for utterance. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to start tonight in Hebrew, in, uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. It says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, speaking of Jesus. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Apparently, the, the leaves on the tree was a signification, or under normal circumstances, it would mean that figs were on the tree, but apparently not on this one. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Now notice it says, Jesus answered and said unto it. Jesus spoke to the tree. He didn't speak to God about the tree. He didn't complain because there weren't figs on it. He simply answered and spoke to the tree and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Let's get down with me to verse 22. Well, let's back up to verse 20, I guess. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Then he describes faith in the most concise way that we have record in the Scripture. Verse 23, he said, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now I want you to notice this story is Jesus' backdrop to explain the faith of God and how faith works in our dealings here on the earth. When it says Jesus spoke to the fig tree, he spoke to his circumstance. We see in verse 23 that it doesn't just work on trees, it would work on mountains too. I believe Jesus is just identifying that it's an all-inclusive principle, this thing called faith will work on anything, whether it's large or small. Now, when Jesus cursed it and said, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever, it didn't instantly die, or at least it didn't appear to be instantly dead. But the next morning, so it's had, what, eight hours, ten hours, something like that, maybe a little bit more, time has passed between when he spoke to the tree and when they next see the tree. But it says when they saw the tree, they saw that it was dried up from the roots. It was dried up from the roots. Now that has to mean that there was a progression of the working of Jesus' faith or the working of Jesus' words as Jesus is explaining the principle of faith to us as a result of the fig tree and what happened to the fig tree. Then he had to exercise faith toward the tree when he spoke to it. So him speaking, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever was his faith. 
speaking to the tree. And it dried up from the roots, the Bible says, which means it had an origin. And the source of that life of the tree was cursed as soon as Jesus spoke to it. But as I said, it didn't instantly turn brown. It didn't instantly look like a dead tree. And if you were going by physical appearances, I'm sure we would have recognized that nothing had uh, looked to have happened to the tree. There didn't seem to be any difference in the tree when Jesus spoke to it or in the few moments immediately following when he spoke to it as it looked like before. But faith doesn't go by what things look like. And that's the whole point Jesus is trying to make. When he says have faith in God, he's talking about having the same kind of faith that he just exercised and he was the son of God so we could say have the faith of God. Jesus has just operated in the faith of God. What other kind of faith would God have other than the God kind? So where he says have faith in God, he's talking about faith, the faith of God or the God kind of faith. And then he explains the power of words. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Doubt in the heart is relying on circumstances or evidence to determine what you believe. A lot of people pray for healing in their bodies and then immediately after they finish their prayer, they think they're praying the prayer of faith or they might have attempted the prayer of faith. But immediately following that prayer, they check their bodies to see if there's been a change. And if they can't discern a physical change in their bodies, they assume that nothing happened. Well, if that had been the case with Jesus and the fig tree, the tree never would have died. When Jesus spoke to the tree, he knew that his words carried power. He knew that he, as, uh, as a man anointed of God here on the earth, had authority over the trees that were in his path. And so when he cursed the fig tree, as far as he was concerned, it was dead. Now here's a, a, a topic I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight, and that is I see so many people that are defeated by the tenses of faith. And I want to talk to you about the past tense of faith. A lot of times people are looking for God to do something. And there are some things that the Bible tells us that God will do as a response to our faith. But we also need to recognize how to, uh, to look at and how to operate in faith when circumstances don't seem to change. So Jesus said unto the mountain, or he said, Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, has saith, which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Notice in verse 23, it doesn't mention prayer, but verse 24 does. Verse 24 is the, uh, a description or a definition of the prayer of faith. Verse 23 just says faith works as a result of believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Now let's use a, an illustration here to see if we can make the, the past tense of faith a little bit more clear. Let's imagine that you're the sole heir of a very wealthy person. You may know that you're the beneficiary of the will or you may not. What, whether you know about it or not doesn't really matter. And you get word from an attorney that this wealthy person that made you the beneficiary of their will had died. Maybe he tells you about the things that are gives you an overview of what the will uh, declares 
or identifies a part of your inheritance. But here's the question. When did you become rich? Let's say that in everybody's estimation, the inheritance that was left to you would be considered rich in anybody or everybody's book. When did you become rich? Well, you didn't become rich when you found out about it. You didn't become rich when the lawyer told you that you were the beneficiary. You became rich when the wealthy person died. Now, there may have been a period of time in between the death of the individual and the attorney being able to get a hold of you. Maybe it took a week for him to find you. Maybe you had moved and the contact information he had wasn't current. So it took him a little time to find you. Did you become rich at the end of the week when the lawyer found you? Or were you rich at the beginning of the week when the person, the wealthy person died? Well, you became rich immediately upon his death. It was his death that triggered your wealth or the transfer of your inheritance. Now, let's say also that the, the lawyer tells you that we need to meet together so that we can read through the will and we can make you aware of what belongs to you and what legal things need to be done and so on and so forth. So you go to the reading of the will and you find out that the, the person that left you the inheritance had a fleet of cars. So now you are the possessor of a fleet of cars. But when did you take possession of those fleet of cars? When did they belong to you? When the lawyer read the will to you? Or when the wealthy person died? Well, they became yours as soon as the person died. Let's say also that there's a title deed that's shoved across the table at the reading of the will. The lawyer shoves a piece of paper across the table to you, and you see that it's a title deed. And you ask the lawyer, what is this? And he says, well, it's a, a, a land deed, a land title. The wealthy individual, your benefactor, owned a Caribbean island. It's a great big place. Lots of room, beautiful house on it, sunshine all year long, just an ideal situation, ideal location. So now he says, you've become the owner of a Caribbean island. Well, have you ever seen it? All you have is a title deed, and I'm sure the title deed has a description with coordinates, latitude and longitude of where it's located and it probably has a legal description of what makes up the island. But faith is like a title deed. As a matter of fact, Weiss translation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Weiss says faith is like a title deed. Faith is that which identifies what belongs to you. But when did it become yours? Did it become yours when the lawyer gave you the title deed, showed you on the, on the, uh, um, during the reading of the will? No, it became yours as soon as the benef your benefactor had died. It became part of yours. And even though you've never seen it, and even though it may take a week or two to transfer title into your name, you were the, you were the possessor of it immediately upon the death of the wealthy person that left you your inheritance. The same thing's true where faith is concerned. The Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, and with, with his stripes or by his stripes, we were healed. The Bible's very clear on saying that we were healed. Now, Isaiah 53, verse 4, 
Surely he has borne our griefs or sicknesses and carried our pains. But we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 says we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says we were healed. What's the difference? Well, Isaiah is looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, and his resurrection. And Peter is looking back to what Jesus did for us and accomplished for us. So we're living under the day where we can say, by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Now, when did healing become ours? When did we have a right or an inheritance to take hold of the healing work that Jesus did? Well, as soon as Jesus died, shed his blood, and fulfilled God's plan of redemption, everything that he died for became ours. We became the possessors of eternal life, the life of God. We became possessors of prosperity and well-being in every area of life. And we became the possessor of healing, physical healing for our bodies. Now, a lot of people don't know that that belongs to them. Jesus, or the Word of God says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They don't perish because God didn't provide enough for them. They don't perish through sickness and disease, for example, because healing didn't belong to them. They perished because they didn't know what was theirs. Well, if you thought, if when you were contacted by the lawyer, back to the inheritance analogy if you thought the lawyer were friends of yours that were playing a trick on you and you just said well that was a good trick I'll try to get them back some way or another and blew the whole thing off and didn't go to the reading of the will you wouldn't be less wealthy than you were or would be if you had participated in the reading of the will and found out everything that belongs to you the possession is still yours but you wouldn't know what was yours because the lawyer has the information. If it takes a period of time after the reading of the will for it to work through the legal terms or the legal system, whether it's probate or whatever, however those things work, if it takes two weeks to get it done, you don't become the possessor of the money or the fleet of cars or the Caribbean island at the time that the legal system is finished working. It's yours immediately upon the death of your benefactor. In the same way, the Bible tells us that Jesus purchased for us. It's already done. Salvation, including prosperity and physical healing. Now, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save or except this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. 
Now that indicates to me that something else happened to him that didn't happen to the nine. It indicates to me when Jesus commends him for his faith and tells him his faith has made thee whole. We can't exactly prove it by the scripture, but we can't disprove it either. I believe that whatever body parts had been eaten away by this leprosy, he was made whole completely from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. That's what leprosy does, as I understand. It eats away at your fingers and your toes and whatever else, depending on how far the ravaging effects of, of the dreaded disease has, has taken or expired. So Jesus does something extra for this guy. Now, here's the question. When were they healed? When were they healed? Well, if we were going by physical evidence, we'd have to say they were healed as they went, as they were on the way. And apparently they hadn't gotten too far off because one of them, it says, turned around and glorified him with a loud voice immediately when he saw a change in his body. Now, the Bible goes into great detail in the Old Testament about what a leper should do if he was cleansed. Leprosy was the dreaded disease for all of the Old Testament times. It was the cancer of the day, I guess. I guess we would consider that to be the major disease of our present day. But here where it says, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. These lepers know what they're supposed to do if, if they're healed of their leprosy. And the instructions that are given is first and foremost, they had to present themselves to the priest for an examination. I'm sure that if somebody had leprosy and it wasn't clearly seen, maybe it was somewhere they could cover up with their, their clothes. I'm sure that there have been lepers that have pretended not to have leprosy so that they wouldn't be excluded from certain things for whatever period of time they could until they showed up. And so it's a precaution. Under the old covenant, the law of Moses, it's a precaution to keep somebody from infecting somebody else through this highly communicable disease. This highly contagious disease. So you had to present yourself to the priest for a very careful examination. And you had to bring a sacrifice. Now most lepers were instructed to bring a, a, a turtle dove that was split in half. Or when they brought it to the priest, maybe he's the one that split it in half. And they had to present it to the Lord under running water. And there was just a lot of details that had to be kept and followed when it comes to the cleansing of the leper. But that turtle dove, the splitting of the animal, was a type and a, a representation of the atonement. In other words, it's a picture, an illustration of what Jesus would do in his death, burial, and resurrection to take our sickness and bear our infirmities so that by his stripes we were healed. So that when the lepers turned and follow Jesus' instructions and commandments. Go show yourself to the priest. That's where they take hold of what Jesus indicated to them. Now, it's, it's interesting to me, and there's a lot of examples of this in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, I should say. But it's interesting to me that we have to think about things being so precise. Jesus never said, you're healed, go show yourself to the priest. Jesus just simply said, go show yourself to the priest. Now, he knew what he meant by that. He meant the same thing as when he told the centurion, go your way, and as thou hast believed, be it done unto you. You remember in Matthew chapter 8, it tells us about the centurion that comes to Jesus and says, my servant lies at home, grievously vexed of the devil. 
And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion kind of balked at that. And he said, there's no reason for you to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to do so. He said, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith and said, this, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And then he makes a little statement about many shall come from the east and the west, talking about the Gentiles. He's saying there are Gentiles that will take hold of this thing called faith and take hold of what I provide for them through the death, burial, and resurrection that God ordained for him. First and, more, uh, first and before the children of Israel do. And then he says to the centurion, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, as thou hast believed, not as you do believe, but as thou hast believed. Now, what do we know about what he has believed? Well, if faith is exercised and recognized by what he says, then he says, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. In other words, the centurion put things in the past tense. He entered into the past tense of faith that always receives from God. So when the lepers hear Jesus say, go show yourself to the priests, I'm sure they're thinking whether they conferred with one another or not, we don't know. But I'm sure they were thinking, go show ourselves to the priest. Are you any different? Can you tell any difference in your body? And no, none of them could tell a difference. None of them could see a change. But the further that they went, and as I said, they, didn't, they obviously didn't go very far because it was a real short time before the leper came back. The one guy came back to worship Jesus and to thank him. So it didn't take a long time to begin to show a difference, but it was an instant. It didn't occur instantly. It was when they turned. The lepers were cleansed as they went. If they hadn't have went, they wouldn't have been cleansed. If they hadn't acted on what Jesus said. Now, what did Jesus tell them in effect? Well, in effect, Jesus is saying, go show yourself to the priest as if you had been healed. And so maybe their discussion goes like this. He wouldn't tell us to go show ourselves to the priest if nothing had happened. If they really believed that he was the master, if they really believed that he was the master of sickness and disease, which would be the only reason they would call out to him, in my thinking, if they really believed that he was the master over sickness and disease, then as soon as he said, go show yourself to the priest, they would have recognized that as a sign, an unseen thing perhaps, but as a sign that what they asked him for, they received. And that's exactly the way it went. The ten were cleansed as they went. And the one guy turns around and worships God, magnifies Jesus for what was done. And as I said, I think that it means that he received wholeness in his body, not just cleansing from leprosy, but he was made whole completely from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. There are other occasions where the Bible tells us Jesus had uh, uh, ministered to the multitudes and those that were maimed were healed. Now, folks, that's not a healing per se. It's a creative miracle. Well, if Jesus was in the business of creative miracles in other situations, why wouldn't he have been here with the leper? As he said, your faith has made you whole. Now, over in James chapter 5, the Bible gives us some information, the only information actually, for healing to be ministered in the church. Verse 14, it says, Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, this word save is the word sozo, and it includes what we know of as forgiveness of sins. But it also is an all-inclusive term that means to rescue and to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole. There are other places, many, uh, several other places, I would say a couple of dozen places throughout the New Testament where this word save is translated heal. I think it should be translated heal in this, in this instance because he's obviously talking about physical sickness. He's talking about being restored from a dreaded disease. So he says, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Now remember Jesus identified or defined the prayer of faith in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Well, if you're sick, I'm sure you, want, you would desire healing for your body. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things you desire, in this case, healing for the body, and you shall have them. James says it this way, the prayer of faith, in other words, the prayer of faith that believes it receives when it prays. The prayer of faith that believes it receives when it prays. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. Now it does indicate that there's a, a, a power or a working of God in the healing of the physical body at the present time. We have a basis or a foundation to believe for that healing. Because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. The work is finished. As far as God is concerned. As far as heaven is concerned. As far as the earth is concerned. The healing work of God is finished and complete. By Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because a part of what he died for was healing for the physical body. So here where it says the prayer of faith, the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. Why would it believe it receives when it prays? Because healing is a past tense work of Jesus. Healing was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. So the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. The Bible says in Jeremiah I will hasten my word to perform it. Some translations read, I will watch over my word to perform it. Here where it says the Lord will raise him up, it means there's a performance, a performing that takes place where God is watching over his word. He's hastening his word to bring it to pass. In other words, when we believe that we receive when we pray, we put our healing in God's hands because his word has the power to raise us up. Now, because the Word is the power of God, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Here's this word sozo again, all-inclusive word. Rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, make whole, or heal. The, power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's talking about the Word of God being the power of God, and God watches over His Word, the word that is spoken, the word that believes it receives healing when it prays, God watches over that and ensures that it comes to pass in our, in our physical bodies, in our flesh. So just as the lepers were cleansed when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, we having the, taking the same position of faith, we having the same faith as God himself, the Bible says, God believes and therefore speaks, we believe and we speak. We speak to the finished work of Jesus. We speak that the healing has been accomplished by Jesus, and we've taken hold of it by praying a prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. 
After that, the Lord's work is to watch over his word. Now, folks, I think it makes more sense to believe that God will honor his word than, he'll, than to believe that he'll break it. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, the Bible says. Well, if it's settled in heaven, it's settled in earth too. It means the word of God is settled once and for all, finished, completed, accomplished. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith heals the sick every time. The prayer that believes it receives when it prays works every time. Now, I know from some, some uh, personal experience that the devil will try to make you think that there's still something else to be done. The devil will try to make you think that you need to be better. You need to walk in love. Maybe you haven't forgiven somebody. Which, folks, by the way, if you're in unforgiveness, you know it. You don't have to go looking for something that you may not have forgiven somebody for. This is something that is so important, so critical, that your heart would bring you under condemnation. So if you're in unforgiveness, you don't have to have anybody to tell you are. If there's a grudge or an unforgiveness that you held against somebody, whether it's somebody close to you or somebody from your past, you're going to know that instantly. You don't have to go searching around and praying just in case you haven't forgiven somebody or whatever. We know when we are stepping outside of love. We know when we're outside of the love of God. And I've experienced, and I'm sure everybody else has as well, times and situations where the devil will tell you, you need to do something. Well, the only thing the Bible can instructs us to do is to believe in Jesus, to believe the work is done. Jesus upbraided his disciples over and over and over again because they refused to accept his words as the absolute truth. When Jesus went to sleep in the back of the ship and they sailed into a storm, then they woke Jesus up and said, Master, we're perishing. Don't you care? Jesus rebuked the wind and the storm and turned to his disciples and said, How is it you don't have how is it that you have such little faith? Or where is your faith? In different situations he said they had small faith, in other situations he said they didn't have any faith. Now, what is Jesus concerned about? Well, Jesus had already said before they got out into the middle of the sea, let us go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's go out to the middle and drown. He said, let us go to the other side. So when Jesus spoke his will, his intent to go to the other side, that should have been enough in Jesus' estimation, at least for the, the situation he upbraided them for, that should have been enough for them to accept that their trip was secure no matter how big the storm was or how high the waves got. Jesus expected them to believe and act as if his words would come to pass. I'll draw your attention to Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. It tells the story how the children of Israel came to the promised land after God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And they come to the edge of the promised land they send 12 spies into the land to, to spy it out and see what's there. They bring back fruit of the land and said this is a land that flows with milk and honey. But 10 of the 12 spies convinced the congregation that they can't do it. They can't take the land because the people are stronger than they are. And they were right. The people were stronger than Israel. 
But Caleb and Joshua tried to steal the people and calm everybody down by saying God's on our side. It doesn't matter how strong they are. They're not stronger than God. Even though they may be stronger than us, they're certainly not stronger than God, and he's with us. But the congregation wept and decided to yield to fear rather than to believe that God would bring them through and complete what he promised them. And so in Numbers chapter 14, it tells us God's response to Israel's rejection of his plan and purpose. And he says this, this is Numbers 14, verse 28. He said, as truly as I live, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now that phrase, as truly as I live, is in italics, which means the translators added it. But the language of the verse that was there in the original Hebrew text, the language of the verse indicates that God is saying, this is an important thing, this is an everlasting principle. And if you think about the two characteristics of God's life, one is that it never changes, and the other is that God lives eternally. So the eternal, unchanging law of God is this. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Folks, the prayer of faith or the operation of faith is speaking God's words back into his ears and never, ever, ever, ever changing. I heard Brother Hagin say one time, and he was talking about a situation that didn't look good. But he said with such conviction, it really drew my, drew my attention. It was not, well, it was certainly something out of the ordinary for him to say. But he said this. He said, once the words of faith are spoken, I will never turn back. And folks, there was such a strength and such a confidence that he communicated at that time that impacted me and will continue to impact me for the rest of my life. I decided right then that's the way I'm going to be. Once the word of faith is spoken, I will never turn back. Well, if you never turn back, that means you never doubt in your heart, which means whatever you say is what's going to come to pass. So the prayer of faith does heal the sick. The prayer of faith takes hold of what Jesus has already done. The prayer of faith makes the finished work of Jesus yours. And from there it's up to the Lord. It's up to God himself to watch over his word to bring it to pass in our lives. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Our part is to believe that we receive. God's part is to see that we have what we ask for. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. Where would we be without the word of God? We'd be walking in darkness like the rest of the world is. But thank God we can walk in the light. God's made it so easy. He's made it so simple that even a child can do it. We sometimes talk about childlike faith. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Because kids just believe. Well, as God's kids, we should just believe too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that through Jesus we have a mighty inheritance. We thank you that we've inherited eternal life. We've inherited prosperity. We've inherited divine healing. Father, we believe we receive our healing. And since the prayer of faith heals the six, we put it in your hands to raise us up. We simply rejoice, counting it done, 
counting healing in our physical bodies to be a finished and accomplished fact. And we just worship you for it, Lord. We thank you so much that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. Thank you, Father. Since we were healed, we are healed now. No matter what it looks like, no matter what symptoms may exist, no matter if things look better or look worse in the, next, in the upcoming days, we believe because your word tells us that it's a finished work. Healing is finished. Healing has been made available to us. And Lord, we rejoice. Thank you, Lord, that the prayer of faith has healed me and that you are raising me up. Thank you that my faith is giving substance to my healing. Thank you, Father, that your word describes, even as a title deed, all that belong to us. Lord Jesus, what we have in you is worth more than riches. It's worth more than material possessions. The knowledge of your goodness and your mercy and what you did to provide for us is more precious than any of those other material things. Thank you, Father, that you cared enough about us to include divine healing in the plan of redemption, in the redemptive work of Jesus. And we call it done. So we speak to our bodies. We command our bodies to amend. We speak healing to our flesh from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Even as your word declares belongs to us, Father. And we thank you that you are raising us up. You are watching over your word to perform it. You are making sure and seeing to it that every word, every healing scripture, every healing word of God comes to pass in our physical bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, have a great week. We'll see you here Wednesday night online. God bless you.